0: We are back with another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. We've got Randall J. Sanders. We've got Jeremy Spector. I am Ronan O'Shea. Episode number 16. So a tip of the cap to Aramis Ramirez, one of the great number 16s in Cubs history. um, And a guy who was a part of a couple of playoff teams. This year's team... Yikes. I don't know that they're playoff bound, guys. It's been a pretty rough week here. We've got a lot to get to. Cubs drop three of four in Atlanta. We want to preview the weekend series with the Reds. Some other odds and ends. A former Cubs reliever hangs it up. Scary moment in St. Louis last night. with One of the best players in the game. And I've got some trivia for you all here. Um, Also, those of you that get tired of hearing Jeremy or Randall and I talking over the next uh, segment of time here, Jump ahead to the final minute or so of this show to hear a familiar voice and a pretty neat birthday gift uh, that was left here for us. So that's a little teaser with how this show is going to end today. But, Jeremy, you got your Bears hat on. Big night for the Bears, actually, tonight. Looks like maybe they've got a new quarterback of the future.
1: Exciting night. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, that pulling the big trade, you, you're thinking you're watching the draft, you're at 10, 9, 10, and Justin Fields is still on there, and you're like, the bears, if they're going to do anything. They have to make this move. You have to make it. And then you see, you see it come up that the bears are traded for number uh, pick number 11, I believe. And that's just an exciting. Then you're thinking it has to be fields, right? It can't be Mac Jones. It has to be Justin Fields. So at least you get a guy, a guy, you know, get some hope at least mm-hmm. uh, you're rolling into the that QB room with Andy Dalton, and Nick Foles next year and bringing everybody back with, uh, you know, Brian Pace and Matt Nagy. You're like, at least give me something to hold on to. And the bears at least did that. So now I have Justin Fields to hold on to, at least I have something to hope for. Well, Randall quite the day for you too, the often aggravated uh, bears fan.
0: Not only did we get word that the star quarterback of the green Bay Packers is aggravated with his franchise, but now the bears have a new young quarterback and at least some excitement here in this, uh, what has been a really bad stretch of bears football.
2: Well, between uh, Justin Fields and Aaron Rodgers, reportedly being very upset with the Green Bay Packers, that's two great draft picks for the Bears today. And, you know, uh, reportedly, the disgruntlement on the part of Rodgers has to do with them picking Jordan Love in the first round last year. And I have to say, it is kind of a a dick move on the part of the Packers picking a quarterback who is Aaron's brother combined with the thing his family does not have for him.
1: Wow. Wow. Shots Shots fired harsh wow just going right at his family and his relationship wow well it's I fun to
2: have i'm not saying anything that isn't out there publicly it's all i'm saying
1: oh i'm wow, for aaron Rodgers getting out of green bay so Hey, and it's just Hello. nice to have a little
0: bit of positive momentum with the Bears right now. At least for tonight until something goes wrong next, inevitably when the next thing goes wrong, at least a little bit of excitement there. And it is refreshing because it's been a horrible week for the Chicago Cubs. Yes, they salvaged tonight the finale in Atlanta. Final score 9 to 3. Really nice game in fact all around tonight. But it's come on the back end of a really difficult week. The Cubs losing five straight, came into tonight's game 10 and 14 with a run differential of minus 18 and some real bad baseball Tuesday and Wednesday. Shut out 5 nothing Tuesday, lost 10-0 Wednesday night. Randall, this has been kind of worst case scenario for the Cubs right now. Multiple key players battling uh, you know, injuries, starting rotation, giving up a lot of runs early, and they're losing baseball games here in Atlanta.
2: Yeah, you know, we talked on our opening day edition, how the opening day loss to the Pirates was kind of what the worst case scenario for this team, you can't hit uh, a mediocre starting pitcher and you lose, uh, you, you lose a game to a pretty bad team because your bullpen can't keep anyone off the base paths. This was kind of that magnified over the, the course of three games. As you said, the starting pitching was not great in this series. The offense, aside from uh, the first game in the series scored seven runs and still lost was flat lifeless. And it just feels kind of like this is what this team is going to be. A lot of the season, you know, they'll, they'll go on a run here and there. They'll, they'll sweep a series against maybe a half decent team. They'll win four, maybe five in a row. And you'll go, ah, maybe they're turning a corner. Maybe, you know, maybe it's going to get better from here and they'll follow it up by losing five straight. It, 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 it kind of feels like this is what it's going to be for the rest of the year unless the, they just magically magically and dramatically improve
1: well you got some negativity there from the guy who picked him to win 90 games on the <laughs> season uh but uh the, the the to me it's it's been the starting pitching it's been uh and, and going into the year we all had our worries about the starting pitching i'd say on opening day i mean you look kyle hendricks has been terrible absolutely terrible uh in the month of april which he's in his career he's been terrible in the month of april so maybe there's some hope there but uh, it has not been good and even worse than kyle hendricks has been zach davies or actually i don't even know because they've both been awful <laughs> Hendricks, but davies has been pretty bad and so i there's an issue there with their command they're not they're not spotting the i mean you look at the game yesterday uh hendricks pitched and he's talking about you know he's his, his sinker is not working or whatever but he, he that he's Throwing balls in the zone that are waiting to be smashed. Like he's had he had no command, which is ridiculous because Kyle Hendricks has elite command, and he's had elite command throughout his career. So the offense, you know, has more or less been mostly fine. I mean, you got shut out yesterday, obviously, but then you come back today with nine runs. He had he had seven runs uh the other day to open it off with Zach Davies. The offense, you know, you're gonna have your hit, you're gonna have your miss, but for you're you're getting. The produ- some production, out- and you're getting a lot more production out of guys. I mean, Brian's been great, but you know, as, as I've said all along, it's April. The Cubs are 11-14. They're three under division, not good. I mean, even if even the Brewers, you know, they're down a little bit, but now they're out birds for who knows how long. The so- COVID. Yeah. Well, well should have got a thought. We don't know. Oh, don't oh know. I
2: see. I, I see. believe they said it was a, a lower body injury, a oh, did they? Muscle, Cause he got, they put I him, him on the
1: they put him on the IL and they never, with a, with a originally they never said what it was. So this right. speculation was, I'm wondering was if
2: they were just sparing him a little bit of uh, embarrassment. You don't want to maybe tell the world that the guy went on the, the IL with a, a butt injury.
1: Oh well, you have to say something fissure, like COVID, but uh, um, I don't know. The issue to me has been the starting rotation. Uh yeah. that's been the issue. Right now, the starting rotation does not look good, especially if you're not getting anything out of the guys. I probably had the most confidence in were Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davies, and they're getting nothing out of those guys. Uh probably looks like the best starter the Cubs have right now. I mean, if you're gonna be honest about it. Uh, Jake's been decent. I mean, he's kind of been what you expect. He's not going to be an elite pitcher, but he, and he, he's got some issues, but he, he's getting it done. And Trevor Williams has kind of been that. But the Cubs really haven't had a starter able to go deep into games. Even when they've pitched well, Trevor Williams, it's five innings. Albert Elzelay, five, six innings. Like, we can't get deep, so we'll see how they are. It's end of April.
2: Uh, Elzelay managed to go six innings in his start tonight, which is great to see because he's run into that that one point in the last couple starts where it just kind of all falls apart. And he doesn't get through five. But all over the broadcast tonight was that the Cubs have not had a starting pitcher throw a pitch in the seventh inning so far this season, and and that's not good. You're, you're not no. gonna you're you're not gonna be a great team if you're maxing out at six innings per start for from your entire rotation. Hopefully, that's something that improves. The weather gets a little warmer. Guys are stretched out now, and again, hopefully Kyle Hendricks is able to fitch, fix whatever the issue is. You're gonna need guys to pitch into the seventh inning. It feels like I'm stating the obvious. But you're not going to win too many games over the course of a season if that's not the case.
0: Well, you remember that badass moment on opening day last year, Kyle Hendricks going the distance to open up the COVID-shortened season. Uh, But to both your points, really, uh, last night, Kyle Hendricks, seven runs, 11 hits, doesn't even get through four innings couple of two run home runs in the first inning. You kind of take the team out of the game before the second time through with the order Monday night, Jeremy, to your point, Zach Davies five earned runs in three and two thirds innings. Chris Bryant hits a big grand slam to tie up the game after Hendrick or after um, not Hendricks, but uh, Davies, Davies gives up four early and you're thinking, okay, we're getting right back into it. And immediately in the bottom half of that inning, a run is given up the momentum's kind of gone at that point and the offense can't really recover. What worries me about this rotation is a lot of these guys are kind of mediocre, not the hardest throwing guys all coming from the right side. There's just not a lot of diversity in terms of what you get in this rotation. I think maybe that's one of the reasons Adbert has been so successful. He's got that nice slider. It's been working well for him. It's a little bit of a different look. I also, every time I see you, Darvish, pitching for the Padres, you know that image of Snoop Dogg like, morphing into the Doberman from the music video. I see that every time, but it's you, Darvish, morphing into Zach Davies and giving up bombs in the first inning, and it breaks my heart every time because the Cubs had one of the best pitchers in baseball. They moved on from it, and they're
1: paying for it every fifth day as Davies is out there just getting shelled. Yeah, Zach Davies has been terrible, and honestly, I don't even know. I This is probably the worst stretch of his career, and you obviously have to give him the chance to, uh, you know, see if he can get out of that funk. But I I, like if he keeps pitching like this, I I don't know how much longer of a leash you can even give him because he's been terrible so far this season. He's a free agent at the end of the year. So you don't expect him to come back next year. Anyways, Um, they don't. It's not like the Cubs, though, have a ton of options to really uh, put somebody in the rotation. You could obviously do an Alec Mills or who was not, you know, an elite option, or maybe you could give a guy like uh, Corey Abbott a chance, who's been throwing a little bit for the Cubs when they've played the White Sox in these uh, alternate site games or uh, Keegan Thompson is another name, but uh, you know, the Cubs were quick to move on from a guy like Brandon Workman who was walking everybody left and right. Wasn't really trying to find the zone with the, with the curveball. So maybe they, they do do something. I, I think the obvious hope would be he could at least, salvage something and maybe you can get a trade out of him in June and July, but they can't win if Zach Davies and Kyle Hendricks can't find or can't find their command and can't place the ball where they want to in the zone. If they're just throwing 86 mile per hour sinkers over the middle of plate, they're going to get crushed. That That's how it's going to be.
2: Jeremy, you're not wrong. And I've been having this thought over the past couple turns through the rotation. Uh, at what point does somebody lose their rotation spot and potentially get replaced by Alec Mills or someone else who is major league ready. I was a little worried that if uh, Alzelay struggled again tonight against the Braves, he might have been a candidate for that, that they would get to work on stretching Mills out and putting him in the rotation, especially because Alzelay seemed to have three or four really great innings per start, and then he would kind of lose it. And you might wonder if the Cubs would feel that he would be better deployed throwing three really good innings in relief two or three times a week as opposed to starting, and then you have to burn out the bullpen when he doesn't make it through four. But I was real glad to see him get through six effectively tonight, and at least put that to bed for one night.
1: And talking about, oh, go ahead, Jeremy. It looks like you have another thought on that. No, I was just gonna, I was just gonna follow up on Azealia saying I think he's been, for the most part, really good. So I would be very disappointed. I, I know he kind of he had a couple of the inning, uh, against the Brewers where he didn't quite go after. Uh, Corey Ray, and then they pulled him. But I think Al's has been great for the last couple innings, or excuse me, outings. So I, I hope that they can. I think right now, like I said, he's their best pitcher. So I hope they continue to throw him out there. Well, there were some
0: positive vibes tonight, and there's been a lot of negativity in the last week, rightfully so, even going back to last weekend. Uh, but tonight, the offense finally coming together in Atlanta. How about this guy? 16 hits in one baseball game for the Chicago Cubs. They score. Runs in five of the nine innings this evening, and everybody really contributing. Anthony Rizzo in the leadoff spot, three hits. Two-hit day from Matt Dovey, who's certainly, or suddenly rather, the number three hitter in the lineup. A couple hits from Bryant. Hayward with a couple of hits and two driven in. And then Baez with a really cool triple, nearly knocked one out of the ballpark there in right field. So one of these nights, we've been waiting for it. After a couple of shutouts, the offense came together tonight. And you just hope they can find a way to string this together for a couple of days. And it's not an instance where you get nine, 10 runs one night, and then you're shut out
1: two or three of the next nights, which has happened with this team. You're right. It has happened with this team. I, I was hoping we have come into this game a little bit, or excuse me, this podcast, feeling a little bit more up, a little more yeah. optimistic. We got Justin Fields. I think this is the first time we've done this after a win. I'm, I, I don't know. <laughs> we we might've, it might, that might, I might be missing one, but I feel like every time we've come on air, so to speak, it's been after a loss, whether it's the day after a loss or just after a loss, I feel like we've always done this after a loss. We're always down. So I've been hoping, you know, we got nine runs, I was like pitch, but maybe we can feel a little good. But uh you're right. I I want to point out one other thing I thought it was funny. I don't know if you saw the call from the Braves uh broadcast on Rizzo at all. Rizzo's uh opening at bat was mm. pretty funny. Uh I, I just want to point out too it's kind of funny that Chip is doing the Braves and Book Shambi used to call Atlanta is doing is the Cubs now, so you yeah, gotta we'll switch. But uh chip obviously calls it when uh anthony hits that ball you know that a lot of people thought might have gone chip goes he got jammed and the ball goes all the way out to that and then within the essay at bat he starts off oh like a jam shot he goes that ball would have been gone if not for the wind. and i'm like two seconds ago you just said he was jammed and it was in on him and it was like he just completely forgot about it. so yeah, i thought it was yeah. pretty funny that chip like it was a big jam shot and then he's like oh but if the wind didn't take that back that was a uh, homer that was clearly out of here because i don't know who Is it Francoeur or somebody doing it? What's up? he goes, I thought that was a homer off the bat. Chip's like, it was a jam shot.
2: Somewhere along the way, Chip lost his ability to read balls off the bat. His famous line drive base hit caught out there call. I think it started out there. In one of the playoff games some years ago. Uh, I'm I'm sure Chip is enjoying himself down in Atlanta.
0: Yeah, He's had some uh, rougher calls over the years. (laughs) The thing, too, about Chip, and I don't want to pile on him, it's just – I look back at games, not so much 98, although it's kind of over the top, but that whole 98 season was over the top, Sammy McGuire. But when I look at, like, the early 2000s Cubs highlights, it's rough, man. Some of those Sammy bombs, the Ramos bombs, 2003, 2004 time. Well, now on hills. Not great. But it's got to be the shoes, right? It's like, got to be a...
2: the shoes, folks. It's <laughs> got to be the shoes.
0: Just. I'm, I, I think we were very lucky to have Len Casper for most of the last, what, 15 years or so. And I think Boog's carrying the torch nicely. It's a and little rough look have looking
1: too. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, you know, at Dave Otto and Joe Carter in a couple of those clips. For sure. For sure. Um, I got to ask you guys, I know
0: Matt Duffy is playing well. He's gotten on base multiple times over the last couple of games. Can't help but cringe a little bit that we're not even into May And Matt Duffy is routinely being placed at the number three spot in this Cubs lineup. That's not a good feeling right now.
1: Yeah. Matt Duffy. uh, I was surprised he made the team. So it's a little surprising (laughs) to see where he is. Uh, I'm not a huge Matt Duffy guy. There's certain things to like about him though. You know, he could handle third base Rays tried to make him a shortstop when he was there. Uh, And he's had contact. He's, He's actually giving you good at bats right now. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's necessarily long for the team i i mean he might be around but i i don't feel like the one thing of though about the 3 spot is it's not the like i i'm okay that's not i mean i don't really think matt duffy's the guy to be in the 3 spot but out of all the spots i don't mind him in the 3 spot because the 2 spot the 1 spot the 4 spot to me are all higher value spots than the 3 spot so you're going to put him three because th- the 3 spot comes up the most with uh Two outs, nobody on base at any other spot in baseball. So, you know, you want the guy leading off. You want the guy in the two spot. And in the four spot, you have Bryant, who will often lead off innings in the four spot, or he'll come up with people on. He's either going to lead off an inning, or he's going to come up with somebody on. So to put him in the three spot, I don't think it's necessarily like a, a huge kill. I would rather, have obviously, have him farther down the lineup, because I don't think he's long for – three spot or even on the team really as I said but he's giving you good at bats he's he's doing one thing a lot of guys in the Cubs don't do and that's making contact so we'll see how it goes I don't see him having a lot of power though so and we'll see what happens when Jock comes back like that's gonna be for sure
2: yeah you you don't want Matt Duffy hitting third you know summarize the season so far how's it how's it going well Matt Duffy's hitting third great once you get past (laughs) once you get past that fact as Jeremy said It's, it's a different look to the lineup. You don't think of your number three guy as being a kind of a singles hitter with no power, but Contreras is a power hitter. You've got usually one of Rizzo or Bryant hitting in the cleanup spot. It's, it gives the lineup, as Jeremy said, a little different look. And Duffy to his credit is making a lot of good contact right now. He's getting on base. If you can have an inning where your leadoff man, whomever that is, gets on base and Wilson gets on base, having a guy who can make contact and, Uh, ground a ball to the right side. And I I hate saying that because I'm every old baseball commentator we've all laughed at over the years who can make productive contact or, or actually get a base hit, heaven forbid. It's not the worst thing in the world. So it's not ideal. It's not the name you want hitting third. It's not the kind of player you want hitting third, but they don't have an abundance of better options right now. You have to do something to try and get the offense back on track. So for as long as it's working, you might as well stick with it and all all i want david ross to do is realize the point at which it is no longer working and end the uh, that experiment when it comes time but as long as it's working you might as well stick with it
1: i I do just want to go back a little bit um i i I just think a little bit has made a little bit about a bunch about you know being in the three spot because as i said i don't think the three the three spot is probably like at best the fifth most important or fourth no, fourth or fifth most important, fourth, fourth most important spot or fifth most important spot in the lineup. So I, I don't it's not like a huge killer to be, I think, to have a guy in the three spot. But uh, I know, you know, obviously, I as I said, Matt Duffy, I'd, I'd be a little surprised if how much, he, you know, but I, I mean, but the option right now is either him or Bodie, really. Um, and Next. Bodie striking. I, I mean, I love Bodie. I, I, I keep waiting for him to break out. I keep waiting for him to break out because he hits the ball so hard. And I think he's going to be good. And I keep, I keep waiting for it. The one problem is he, he doesn't get the ball in the air. He hits it more on uh, a lot too many grounders. But Bodie's going to give you more strikeouts. And Matt Duffy's not. He's making more contact. So I can understand why they're going. And he's walking. He, he's giving you a bat. He's just not hitting for your power.
0: Well, a rare, nice offensive night for the Cubs tonight, and uh, especially good to see Jason Hayward swinging the bat really for the first time this season. Um, one other good vibe from tonight. Nice to see a Craig Kimbrell. I feel like he has not pitched in about a month. He goes out tonight, works a scoreless inning, one strikeout, one walk, maintains the scoreless streak to open up the season. Hasn't had a lot of reasons to pitch as the closer of this squad, but good to see he still looks fresh.
1: Yeah, when you're losing games, you know, on a five-game lose streak, and then the only games you win are 15-2, to 13-4, to and uh, there was another big one, 16-4 or something against the Mets was a big one. So, like, you're not going to see a lot of Craig Pimble. But he came out, you know, he walked the first batter on not-so-great pitches, but he was able to get the double play. So, you know, you got to keep a guy like that fresh, and it's nice to see him continuing to be fresh.
2: Yeah, you, you don't necessarily want to see him coming out of the bullpen throwing seven straight out of the zone, but better he do it with uh, a six-run lead just to get some work in. And you know, the only concern when you bring your closer in in that spot is that he uh, overthrows himself uh, on pitch count in a non-save spot, and then you have to worry about bringing him in the next day. That was not the case tonight, so good to see him get some work and, and get the arm moving.
0: So the Cubs leave Atlanta 11-14. and 14. They are four games back currently. In last place in the National League Central, and they travel to face a longtime rival, a team they've been playing for over 120 years, the Cincinnati Reds, who are not doing much better, Jeremy, 11-13. and They've had some injuries. They have had plenty of issues with their starting rotation, so this feels like an opportunity for the Cubs. All right, the offense is going. This is a ballpark. The ball tends to travel well in. Maybe you
1: can keep the good vibes going here into the weekend. Yeah, hopefully. I I thought that this would be a good week for the Cubs, but uh, they lost three in Atlanta. I thought maybe they could win that series. But, you know, the the Reds had a a bit of a rough patch before getting off in Los Angeles. Uh, Somehow they are able to take a couple games. We'll see. I'm not too optimistic about tomorrow, just because I feel like Wade Miley always dominates the Cubs, and I don't know why. It doesn't seem like he's an elite pitcher, but every time somehow he faces the Cubs, you know, he dominates the one good thing is the Cubs have been really good against left-handed pitching this year which has been an oddly felt like an issue in the past so we'll see about that but the Reds they got a decent offense they could hit the ball hard they have a lot of hard throwers but I, I'm I'm still kind of skeptical of them they had a they had what, a seven eight game losing streak I, I thought that was them kind of coming back down to earth after they got off to a really hot start so I I think I I, I know there's gonna be a lot of frustration this weekend there's always gonna be frustration there's gonna be balls hit out at at You know, that ballpark is every everybody can have a ball that ballpark, it seems. But I think the Cubs can take this series and get back into like a, you know, closer to 500.
2: Yeah, if I have one concern about this series against the Reds, it's Cubs pitching. As Jeremy pointed out, the Reds are a team that can hit and their Cubs are playing in Cincinnati, which is a ballpark that uh, encourages offense. The Reds are top three in most offensive categories in the NL right now. And we've already detailed the Cubs starting pitching struggle so far this year. I think if the Cubs can pitch well this series, they'll give themselves a good chance. As Jeremy said, they're dealing with a, a soft tosser and Wade Miley and they never seem to hit pitchers like that. And in the Sunday matchup, they faced Tyler Malley, another guy they've never been able to hit. I feel like they've gotten to Luis Castillo once or twice. Um, so I, this is, this is going to be a, a, a pitching dependent series for the Cubs. I think if they can pitch well, they have a good chance at, at taking this, but Um, It seems like they've had a lot of trouble playing the Reds the last three or four seasons. And these have been some, some Reds teams ranging from decent to bad. And the Cubs have never really been able to get on a roll with them. Looking at the weather for Cincinnati this weekend, it should be pretty pleasant. Cincinnati can be even more unpredictable and sometimes uncomfortable than Chicago. It can be hot. It can be humid, it can be stormy. It does not look like that will be an issue this weekend. It should be pleasant temperature wise and dry. So again, hopefully the Cubs can pitch this weekend.
0: We appreciate yeah, those guys too at uh, Cubs weather for keeping us up to date. They've d- been doing an awesome job with radar and all that good stuff. Randall, to your point as well about Cubs pitching, Jake Friday, Zach Davies Saturday, Trevor Williams Sunday. So a little bit of reason for concern. Um, Randall, a question for you. Are you excited to see Nick Castellanos who's doing Nick Castellanos things? 308 average, 351 on base, seven home runs. That's what he does a lot of, and he's doing it again well this year.
2: Well, Nick Castellanos, I'll always appreciate for his brief time in a Cubs uniform in 2019. He he tore the cover off the ball for that that half season with the Cubs. We know he plays with a lot of passion and I'll 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 give a thumbs up to anybody who gets in Yadier Molina's face and makes Yadier start crying out on the field in that way that he does. (laughs) Um, But I hope Castellanos either goes hitless this weekend or, you know, if the Cubs are winning in a blowout, he can get a a solo home run or two. That's fine. Um, I hope he does not have a huge weekend against the Cubs. And it always seems like the former player factor comes into play uh, a lot when you're dealing with that.
1: Nick's having a pretty big year. Uh, I I would say he's doing more than Nick Castellanos. Castellanos things. he got off to a hot start last year, but then really faltered off. But this year he's having uh, another monster year. So he hits the ball hard. He has some issues in the field; can't really catch that well. Can't really move that well in the outfield. But uh, yeah, and uh, right now I'm actually okay with the rotation because uh, I- I'd rather have Trevor and uh, um, Arietta start than Hendrickson and, and Davies. <laughs> we only get one of Davies, so I only I'm only too bad about Saturday. Um, but, uh, I, I just can't, I can't, I, Zach, seeing Zach Davies, just has been so bad, man. He's yeah. been so bad.
0: I got a prediction for this weekend though. Uh, Eugenio Suarez, the slugging third baseman turned shortstop for the Reds is off to a horrific start this season for Cincinnati. And I take responsibility for it because he was a high draft pick for me in my uh, fantasy baseball league. I was telling you all about a couple of weeks ago. He's knocking the ball out of the ballpark this weekend. I guarantee it. I'm calling two home runs from the shortstop this weekend for the Reds.
2: Well, if that happens, we know who to blame. Good old Eugenio Suarez. <laughs> yeah. Pat thank you. Always, he always
1: name. seems to crush the Cubs. I don't have the always. numbers, but it always seems to crush the Cubs.
2: Well, it'd be good to
0: see the Reds, though, in terms of two old school baseball teams playing each other, the first of many. And, and to your point, Jeremy, yeah, these teams kind of get in each other's faces. We've seen some fights, some chirps over the years between these teams. Randall, obviously, that iconic moment too. Kyle Farnsworth throwing down in Cincinnati.
2: tacky-tacked, planted, yep. planted a Paul Wilson tree right there in the infield. Former Seminole
0: Paul Wilson. You know, the crazy thing is we're we're getting close to 20 years from when that occurred. So wrap your head around that a little bit. Kind of hard to imagine that. Um, But it'll be fun to see the Cubs and the Reds this weekend. Um, One other note on the Cubs, Jeremy, a moment ago, you were talking about Jock Peterson reports today that the Cubs left fielder will join the team in Cincinnati, not necessarily to be activated, but just to be working out with the squad again. Um, But that's a pretty good sign that it should be imminent that he will be back. And here's to hoping a better Jock Peterson comes back from this injury because it's
1: been a really rough start for him. And I know Randall has thoughts on uh, what A-Rod will think about that.
2: Uh, no, I have no thoughts on A. I try to think of him as little as I, possible. You
1: love it when A. Rod talks about a guy who's out working with the team.
2: Oh goodness. Anyway, uh, it should be noted, Jock is rejoining the team in part because the South Bend alternate site is shutting down as minor league teams across the country get ready to start back up again for the first time in two years. And you know, we wish all these minor league teams the best as they welcome fans through their gates for the first time since 2019. So from the Iowa Cubs down to the Tennessee Smokies, the South Bend Cubs and the Myrtle beach Pelicans. Uh, hopefully everybody has a, a safe and productive and uh, good season down in the minor
1: leagues. Yeah. And my dad really wants to get out to an Iowa Cubs game. So if you guys are around and are wanting to go to an Iowa Cubs game you to fly out there, uh, I say, are
2: we, are yeah. we flying out there because I'm oh, we're flying
1: that. out there. We're flying out there.
2: Can so you, you fly to around...
1: Denver and then
0: go back to Des Moines or am I driving to meet you there?
1: Well, if you're in town, I'm just saying if you're in town <laughs> and there's an Iowa Cubs game, and you want to fly out there. um, But to get back to Jack a little bit, my, I mean, my dad's been eager about it to get out there. So to get back to Jack a, a little bit, uh, hopefully, hopefully this maybe this wrist injury was a factor. We don't know in how he's been playing. Uh, hopefully, you know, wrist injuries. They can screw with you. We all remember Derek Lee. He had that monster wrist yeah. injury, you know it could sap some power. Chris Bryant's had some issues. Uh, I think Zobris might've had a wrist injury that one year he was really bad. So hopefully it's not going to be a lingering thing going to sap the power, but if they can get just another bat back who can, you know, provide something then I, I you know, and not having Chris Bryant playing the outfield, I, uh, you know, uh, Randall's, you know, thinks he's going to get hurt out there. So we don't want that. So we want him to be out back, excuse me, back at third base. So I I think it'd be a huge lift just to get Jock back.
0: And uh, if you were to come back and somehow be ready this weekend, it's a good ballpark. uh, Like we said, to kind of be swinging that bat again in Cincinnati. Uh, Before we move on from the Cubs, we got some other baseball stuff we want to chat about. We'd be remiss if we didn't Tip the cap to Hector Rondone, the uh, former Cubs relief pitcher, part of five seasons with the team, a couple of playoff squads, a couple of uh, NLCS appearances, Uh, pennant a world series championship one of the great cubs relievers of the 2000s in that era which led to the world series title he is retiring after a a lengthy major league career jeremy i'm kind of sad to see hector go here uh the last couple years have been rough on him but in his prime he did some great things for the cubs and was certainly a big part of that world series win and the uh, wonderful uh you know beating the cardinals the year before in the divisional series
1: yep definitely uh Rule five draft pick, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Hector Dunn came over, and he, he provided, you know, a great service for the Cubs. He was never uh, really a big strikeout pitcher. He had a decent fastball, but he wasn't really a huge strikeout pitcher. But, uh, you know, I, I still remember there was a game, I believe, against the Giants. I, I don't remember. what Was it 2015? 2015, I, I, he loaded the bases. He loaded the bases out. and struck everybody out. I think I was yeah. at an airport in Boston at the time watching it like on my phone and just going nuts when that happened. Um, so seeing Hector Rondon retire, is definitely sad. I was a big Hector Rondon fan. I thought that he was, he could have been and should have been possibly the guy to close out the world series in 2016. I thought he was, you know, the guy, I didn't necessarily think that we needed to go out there and make all these moves for an elite closer. I thought Hector Rondon could lock down that ninth inning, but, uh, you know, he, he did his job and he provided for the Cubs and he's a world series champion. He'll always have that. So Hector Rondon, and he was on the Astros too, when they, uh, I don't know if they won, but, uh, but he, they made it pretty far. So, uh, yeah, he had a good Major League career.
2: Yeah, Hector Rondon, one of my favorite Cubs. I love watching a good closer work, and it's great sure. to see a guy kind of come out of nowhere. As Jeremy said, he was a Rule 5 pick prior to the 2013 season. If I'm not mistaken, the two of you may have seen his first Major League save, a, a long extra innings game in St. Louis in which Wellington Castillo did oh, a game-winning wow. home run. If I'm not mistaken. I didn't realize that
1: was his first save. If
2: I'm not mistaken, yeah, we were definitely that, was at his that game. First, his first major league save. Some numbers for Hector Rondon in a Cubs uniform. Uh, parts of 2013, 2014, 15, 16, 17. 296 in the third innings pitched, 303 strikeouts, an ERA of 3.22, a FIP, fielding independent pitching of 3.33, so he was not drastically overperforming his peripherals. He saved 77 games. And he posted an ERA plus of 124, so 24% better than league average as a reliever. Just a solid guy, great fastball, great slider. And as Ronan said, he authored one of the great moments in Cubs history, striking out uh, Piscotti, I believe, to end the 2015 NLDS. And I'll never forget the Pat Hughes call where he says, swing and a miss, Cubs win. You can, you can hear the weight being lifted off of his shoulders and flying away into the night, as he calls that. So Hector Rondon, a, a great reliever for some of the great Cubs teams of our times, all the best to him in retirement.
0: Randall, I'm kind of putting you on your spot here because you've already given a couple, um, obviously beaten the Cardinals, the, the performance too against the Giants. Any other distinct moments that you have or memories you have that just kind of stand out to you, even if it wasn't maybe the most important win or save that he was able to accrue, but just a moment that sticks with you. You're, you're good at keeping those in the memory banks.
2: Uh, Yes, Uh, the home opener in 2016, the Cubs came back with a a big late run against the Reds. He closed that one out. He finished it with a a strikeout, a called strike to end the game. And something else I remember about Rondon, apparently in 2016, uh, during some periods where the team was a little bit down and Rizzo was doing his best to uh, cheer the team up, apparently Rondon sprayed Rizzo with either shoe polish or something like that in the clubhouse. And he was briefly very worried he had killed the vibe. And Rizzo assured of, no, no, you're good. So uh, Hector Rondon loved in the clubhouse, uh, usually had a smile on his face, except when he was closing. Uh, so again, all the best to him in retirement.
0: And he took his role uh, professionally all the way through, especially when the Cubs went out and got more dominant relievers to basically replace him. Chapman, for example, in 16, um, he took it in stride. He did his job. And without him, I don't know that the Cubs win the World Series that year. Everybody played a role in that team getting it done, uh, particularly someone like him.
2: Absolutely. He wasn't he in any of his seasons as the Cubs, with the Cubs, he was not actually the closer for the entire season. He was briefly demoted to middle relief in favor of Jason Mott in 2015. Uh, and we know how they went out and got a role as Chapman in 2016. He didn't take over as the full-time closer until later in 2014. So he put up those pretty good numbers without being the featured guy in that bullpen, any of his best seasons with the Cubs.
0: I hope we'll see him at Wrigley field here in the future. I'm sure we will. And uh, a thee well, Hector Rondon, All right, Here's a phrase that's been said many, many times before Scary moment in St. Louis yesterday. And I've said that many times before, but a 3 3 game in the sixth inning, you've got one of the best players in Major League Baseball, Bryce Harper, up in the batter's box. And uh, frankly, I don't like to compliment the Cardinals much, but an awesome name here for their pitcher on the mound, Genesis Cabrera, pitching for the Cardinals. But a scary moment his pitch to Bryce Harper, 97 miles per hour, hits Bryce Harper in the face. The next batter, D.D. Gregarious hit on the ribs very first pitch with a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. And remember, we've got a three-batter minimum rule in baseball right now. So two things that I want to, I guess, throw by you regarding what happened there. One, should Major League Baseball consider a change to the three-batter minimum rule when a pitcher is clearly wild and hitting guys? And then I've got a second question I'll ask after we answer that one pertaining to the umpires warning both benches. But with regard to the three batter minimum rule, Randall, you want to see a change here or would that be overreacting to kind of a rare event in St. Louis?
2: You know, I'm, I'm kind of of different minds on this. I would like to see it gone, but that's because I think it's a dumb rule to begin with. I don't think it has as much to do with uh, what you mentioned with wild pitchers. I would be in favor of adding some manner of addendum involving hit by pitches specifically. If you, if your pitchers hit two guys in the head, I would be in favor of some kind of automatic ejection. I'm fully aware that most pitchers are not doing it on purpose. You would hope most major leaguers, if they're gonna hit a guy on purpose, know not to do it in the head, but that's not gonna make it any less painful when a guy suffers a concussion or a facial fracture or a broken jaw. We've seen careers altered. We've seen careers ended by taking pitches above the shoulder and whether a guy means to do it or not, I think MLB needs to say, look, if you can't pitch inside effectively, don't do it. And so I would be in favor of if your pitchers hit two guys in the head in one game, some kind of ejection, some kind of automatic ejection, I would be in favor of that. That might seem a little drastic, but you're all about protecting the players right now. You have this rule at second base. You have the rule at home plate. How about making a rule that would actually prevent a guy from taking a 98 mile an hour fastball right off the side of the head?
1: Jeremy, what do you think? Well, to, to go with what Randall is saying, uh, I believe, I think maybe I could be wrong. In, the, in Korea, South Korea, is it one? I think it's one, one batter gets hit in the head and the pitcher's automatically ejected. So Randall's saying two, but would you go for something like that where any pitcher hits a batter in the head? I think it's an automatic ejection. I believe that's the rule in Korea. I,
2: I think that might be a little extreme for me because I, I completely understand that you're throwing a baseball at 97 miles an hour. One will get away from you occasionally, and I don't want an overreaction to the one that gets away from you. But if you do two in a game, again, at some point you're putting guys at risk unduly, and I would be in favor of something like that. So I think one hit by pitch in the head would be, for an ejection would be extreme. If you want to do two, then I, I'm not
1: against that. So two guys taking one off the header. Um, I don't know. I, I the three batter minimum. I feel like it's you know. <laughs> How Often is it really going to be a guy who's who you're? I mean, would I don't know if I genuinely believe Mike Schilt when he says that he would have taken Cabrera out if not for the three batter minimum. Like, if there wasn't a three batter minimum, are you telling me that he okay, he threw a pitch, he hit Harper, and he he wouldn't have he wouldn't have faced uh uh who, Gregorius. Was next? Yeah, Gregorius, I, I don't believe that. I, I think he, maybe after two, I guess it's possible. But uh, I don't believe he would have pulled him after one. Um, so I don't know. I I, I think the three-better minimum I, – I'm not sure if I like it necessarily because there's spots where, like, you know, Cubs are screwed, like – or Cubs, any team is screwed. Uh, I, I, just an example, when I, a couple weeks ago they put in uh, – I mean, well, the Cubs got screwed with this with Dan Winkler kind of. He was completely wild in a, in a game against uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, in Pittsburgh at the beginning of the season, he walked like two batters in a row. He was not throwing any pitches in the zone, he totally would have been taken out. It wasn't even a choice. There, there's no way they wouldn't have taken out, but he had to face a third batter. He walked that guy too. So, and then they had to bring Kimbrough to get out of it, and they were able to get out of it. But that's just, I don't know, I, I think that's the point of it, right? Uh, they want baseball doesn't want these one guy for one guy, they want uh, matchups. They got rid of the Lugies they don't want you know, so many, especially in September a thousand pitching changes, you know, that's why you want guys that, that can develop and, you know, to be able to pitch to both sides. So I don't know. I don't know if they need to change it, but it, it's obviously a frustrating situation. I mean.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm more on that line that I, I don't like the three batter minimum rule. I don't think you have to change it because of a rare circumstance like this. And Randall to your point a moment ago about uh, if you even inadvertently hit somebody twice, maybe you should be taken out or at least hit in the head. I, I think intent is really important. And I think that that's something that umpires should still have some discretion over. The problem is, They don't always get that right. And we've seen a couple of really bad gaps for Major League umpires in the last week or so. Um, And the second question I guess I had for you both, which brings umpires into it, is the thing that got Joe Girardi, the Phillies manager, tossed in that game yesterday. Uh, Basically, after both batters were hit, the Major League umpires met, they talked for a couple of minutes, slowly, as they always do, and then they decided to warn both benches. And what that does basically then is if any Philly pitcher hits somebody on St. Louis, even if it's completely inadvertent, they're taken out of the ballgame. That completely changes the dynamic the Phillies have in terms of attacking Cardinals hitters. And at this point in time, the Phillies didn't do anything wrong. So I think there, Randall, the umpires really messed up. I do think Joe Girardi had a case. And I don't think that's good for baseball that the Phillies get punished for something that they didn't have anything to do with.
2: While you're saying the umpires misinterpreted something and got it wrong, you don't say. And that actually brings up a point I wanted to get to. Joe Girardi is the third manager, at least the third manager, third I can think of in the early going of this season, to be ejected or penalized for his team getting repeatedly hit in the head. Uh, Not all that long ago, a week, not even a week ago, four or five days ago, David Bell, manager of the Reds, was ejected after one of his players took a ball to the head and he was arguing with the umpire and of course we know what David Ross was suspended for a game after uh, Contreras got hit a couple times by the Brewers it seems like the teams and managers who are getting hit are getting penalized a lot more heavily than the guys who are doing the, the the throwing and it another another situation where it feels like the umpire's priorities and MLB's priorities are backwards per usual.
1: I kind of agree with you, Ronan. I think that it should be more on intent. I think that an umpire should be able to judge. They don't have to warn anybody. They should be able to judge whether or not somebody's trying to um, hit a batter uh, in in the future game. Like, you don't have to warn anybody, but if you see something, the umpire always has the discretion to toss somebody. I mean, they have that discretion no matter what. They don't need to warn anybody in order to toss them. So if they, if they see a pitcher who they think is trying to throw at somebody in retaliation, they can toss that guy. They don't need to have had a prior warning. So I, I don't quite understand it. I, th- I think even Girardi, when he was out there, I think he wanted Cabrera tossed too. I think he, you see him kind of making the motion to throw a guy and then he gets thrown. So it's kind of, that was kind of a funny thing to watch. Um, but uh, so I, I, I do think, I, I, I think, it's not necessary Not necessary to warn. – I'm not – I, I do think there should be kind of strict punishments for hitting guys. I don't think – you know, I, I think especially if you're intentionally trying to hit a guy, I, I don't think that should be a part of the game. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that people could judge. Like when Tapera threw behind Woodruff, I think that was pretty obvious. And the Cubs got penalized for it. So, uh, you know, so I, I don't think that that umpire necessarily has to – pro proactively go out there and be like look you know you guys need to settle down unless it had been like a bore war going on that was clear like i i can understand that uh giving a warning like both sides are okay we've hit guys let's go but uh an umpire could judge intent and umpire has discretion to check some guys so i don't it's not necessary in that situation to me
0: Um, also a couple really bad umpire moments this week. I don't know if you guys saw the play in Milwaukee where the uh, umpire called out or no awarded first base to a base runner who had absolutely no business of being awarded. It was one of the most egregious calls I've ever seen an umpire make. Um, John boy media has got some great video on that. Just a couple of really bad errors this week from umpires. And I know that's something Randall that always grinds your gears.
2: My gears are very frequently grinded by umpires.
1: His gears yeah, are stopped even, because of how. Angry yeah, he
2: is. quite often they are, even when you get beyond the balls and strikes. It seems like every so often there's a call on the field that just makes you shake shake your head, scratch your head. It defies any and all logic, and you know an automated strike zone wouldn't help that. So I don't know what the solution is there other than at some point maybe certain umpires need to be rotated out and maybe younger and more competent umpires rotated in, but we know that their union will never allow that. So we sit here and we come up with new ways
1: to fix that. Well, some I, good news. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I I do believe that Marty Foster, the guy who made that call in Milwaukee, which, you know, screwed the Brewers. So it was a great call. Uh, I, he was seemed pretty adamant that he made the correct call. And I I hadn't really looked at the rule or seen the rule, uh, but I had seen some people saying that, By the rule, he had made the correct call. I mean, to me, it obviously didn't look like he was really impeding the runner because there was no chance for the runner to score or excuse me, to reach base safely. But uh, I don't know. Marty Foster was pretty adamant he made the right call. So I think that's kind of interesting. It wasn't like a thing where he was like, oh, I screwed up or something.
0: It's interesting. this This is the rule. It's a play worth watching, you know, for people hearing this that are like, well, what happened on that play at first? Um, I also noticed that the base runner was out of the baseline. He was inside the line, uh, and yet he was awarded first base when it was not a close play. It was not as if there was a bouncing or a a collision between the pitcher and the runner or the batter running to first base, he was out by a mile and yet was awarded the base. So it's something worth checking out. Um, Final note too, from St. Louis, the good news, Bryce Harper appears to be doing fine. He's beat up a little bit. His face was pretty bruised, but he put out a a video last night saying, I'm all right, I'm going to be okay. And that's a good thing because it is good for baseball when the superstars are healthy and in the lineup. So I'm wishing for the best for Bryce
2: Harper. He's going to take that pain out on a whole lot of baseballs going forward. I'm sure. I am sure. you hurt me, I'm going to hurt your whole family back. Well, speaking of that, yeah,
0: hopefully against the Cardinals. Um, But I got some trivia here as we wind down towards the end of this show. Um, I was feeling pretty bad earlier today, to be honest with you guys, about Chicago Cubs baseball. So I got kind of a negative uh, vibe here with these trivia questions we've got going. And the theme for the trivia, it's a quote that we said either last time or two times ago on the show, but it bears repeating uh, a great tribute to the Simpsons here. uh, The theme, the Cubs are the suckiest bunch of sucks, whoever sucked. And that's what we're going to talk about. Two trivia questions, then we've got a fan-submitted question, which is a bit of a different theme there. So let's start with the suckiest bunch of sucks. And when you're in your mid-30s as we are, when you think about crappy Cubs teams, 1997 comes to mind. The year, of course, the Cubs opened with 14 consecutive losses before winning on the high holiday of April the 20th. My question to you both, and Randall, I know this is a little bit ahead of your wheelhouse, but I can tell you the answer to this trivia question is a name we all know. So I do know you've got it in there. When the Cubs won their first game of that 1997 season, who was the winning pitcher? April 20th, uh, 1997.
2: I am going to guess, I'm going to guess Kevin Tappany as the winning, okay. the winning pitcher.
1: Jeremy, what do you think?
2: Kevin Tappany
1: from Randall. Yeah, so I'll guess uh, Steve Traxel. He's been good to me in the past. Awesome. Um, it is the late, great. Kevin Foster Kevin getting Foster. the win
0: that night. The Chicago Cubs beat the New York Mets at Shea Stadium 4 to 3. Uh, the Cubs did give up two runs in the bottom of the ninth before walking away with a victory, so they were walking a tightrope. Kevin Foster that night for the Cubs moved to 1 and 1. He went six and a third innings, allowed just one run on four hits, struck out four, walked two. The Cubs relievers after him Bob Patterson, Mel Rojas, and then the save. To the man himself, Turk Wendell, bringing it home as the Cubs improved to one and fourteen. On April twentieth, nineteen ninety-seven, the Mets that day dropped to six and eleven. So pretty interesting.
1: Guy too. Moment it's from Evanston. Yeah, from
0: Evanston. Uh, unfortunately, passed away back in two thousand and eight. Um, but I did notice here on his baseball reference page, buried in Skokie. So ended up back hmm. in the Chicagoland area, and uh, that's something I got to actually make a point. Maybe get out there one of these days, pay some respects um quick follow-up question on that game there were let's see three uh, this is just coming to me in the moment as I got the box score in front of me three Cubs at that point in time they would have been future Cubs appeared in that game for the New York Mets can you name any of them and am I clear with the question there three people basically uh in the lineup uh, meaning hitters who played for the Mets who ended up playing for the Chicago Cubs
1: yeah uh Lance Johnson yep and he was uh, a uh, pinch hitter in that game. Oh, he was a pinch hitter. Well they made that the reason I'm thinking of that, because they made that huge trade with the Mets was it in ninety seven it was in ninety-seven, so uh I think. So um the other now I'm trying to think who else was in that trade. It was Mark Clark who was in that trade, but I don't think he was would have been No, these, have were bad starter. these were batters. These were batteries. Okay. Hitters. So besides Lance Johnson. Let me give you up, a
0: hint, Jeremy, just to kind of okay. get you in the right direction. One is an infielder, the other Uh, also plays a position that is on the infield. Okay. Technically.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't Um, call him an infielder, but they play in the infield. I'm guessing it's a catcher, though. It's a Uh, catcher. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the catcher, future Cub, who would be the catcher? Is it like Benito Santiago? Son of a legend. Son of a legend. Todd Hundley. Todd Conley. Hundley. Oh, Todd that's, right. that's you, right. You've called Conley. him son of,
2: son of a couple other things.
0: I've, I've said a lot of things about Conley. Todd Hundley. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, the leadoff hitter for the Mets that night, he was a shortstop, went two for four, drew a walk.
1: He was a shortstop for them. Oh, Ray Ordonez. Manny Alexander. Alexander. Manny Start Alexander was in short. my head. In my head, I kept thinking Manny Alexander. And then at the last second, I thought Ray Ordonez because he was a Mets shortstop. If, oh, my God. If you didn't say shortstop, I would have said Manny Alexander. <laughs> Manny Alexander leading off that game for was, the New York. I was Mets. thinking Manny Alexander the entire time. Oh, Ray Ortonius
0: didn't play in that game? No, no, not there. Um, well, I guess let me pull up the box
1: score here and confirm that. Let's see.
3: Oh no. man. Manny Alexander no, no, was no. in my
1: head. He was the one guy I kept thinking Manny Alexander. I thought of, Manny A couple Alexander, of I didn't I didn't think of Todd Huntley, but I thought of Manny Alexander. A couple of other interesting
0: names for the Mets before the second trivia question. That lineup also had Carlos Biagra, uh, John Olerud, Bernard Gilkey, Ray Bluntsky, Carl Everett, Alex Ochoa, and Matt Franco also in that lineup for the New York Mets that well, day. But the Cubs won. Yeah, they got pretty if, good late in the
2: 90s. If so. Carl Everett was in that lineup, we know that dinosaurs were not. If we, uh,
0: If you that. <laughs> Wondering about any other Cubs in that game. Bunch of names here to bring you back to the 90s. Brian McRae, Tyler Houston, Mark Grace, of course, Sammy. Doug Glanville got a pinch hit, ended up in left field. Sean Dunstan and Jose Hernandez played in that game. Also for the Cubs, Kevin Ori, and uh, Ray Sanchez also appearing in that game. So a whole bunch of classic 1997 Cubs there. All right, our second Cubs question, um, really fair game, I think, for both of you. Again, on the topic of the suckiest bunch of sucks, whoever sucked. Jeremy, I'll start with you here. How many times have the Chicago Cubs lost 100 games in one season, and what was the most recent?
1: Well, the most recent would have been in uh, 2012, I believe. Uh, Theo's first year, they lost a hundred games. So whatever Theo's first year was, I think it was 2012. That would have been the most recent. Um, So how many times did they lose a hundred? In one season. Not that many for surprisingly. I feel like, because I felt like when Theo did it, it was like the first time, in like 50 years or something. uh, When they lost a hundred games. So I'm going to say something like seven times. They've lost a hundred games. Randall, what do you got? Ooh,
2: well, the Cubs have been around a while, and I'm wondering if uh, attrition might add some numbers to this as well. I'm going to go, Jeremy, your guess was seven times. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go 20 times in the, the storied history, quote unquote, of the Chicago Cubs. 20 times, 100 game losers in the history of the franchise.
0: That's a lot of 100 losses. The Chicago Cubs have lost 100 games three times. In
2: the history of the
0: franchise, Jeremy, you're totally right. 2012, the Cubs went 61 and 101. The other two times, 1962 and 1966. In each of those seasons, the Cubs went 59 and 103 for a 364 winning percentage. Yikes. Those were some bad times, but those were followed some really good times, actually, in the late 60s and early 70s when the Cubs had some really nice teams
1: on the north side of the city. So some uh, yeah. real bad years there. I was thinking that it would be all in the 60s and 50s, uh, Ernie Banks era. For the most part, I thought maybe more in the 50s. So three times, that's not bad because, I, I, like I said, I, I knew when they did it in 2012, it was like the first time 50 years. And prior to the 1940s, they were pretty good. So I was just guessing maybe they had a bunch in the 50s and 60s.
0: Our our final trivia question here, a fan submitted question from John O'Shea, my dad. So you know what that means, folks. We're going way way back. We're going old school. This is a really cool question, though, and I'm going to make it a little bit easier for you. A multiple choice question. And Randall, I'll give you a chance to lead off here. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Lou Boudreau. After this, he's got a lot of Chicago ties. He became a player manager when he was with the Cleveland Indians. And my question to you both is, how old was he? when he was named a player manager of the Cleveland Indians. This was back in 1942. And Randall, your four options are A, 24 years old, B, 29 years old, C, 34 years old, and D, 44 years old. What do you think?
2: So I'm going to err on the side of being older. I'm going to guess 34. 34 as a player manager for Lou Boudreaux.
1: Okay. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think? I'm just going to – well, first of all, I'd like to thank John O'Shea for this question and say props as one Alayni to another I celebrating an eye here with Lou Boudreaux, <laughs> the Alayni. So uh, I'm going to guess uh, 29. Was that really one good of the guesses? Questions? Yes, yeah, that was the second one, B. Um, you're both wrong, actually.
0: This is really amazing. He was 24 years old wow. in 1942 when he was named player manager. Um, some interesting stories here on Lou Boudreau, the Illinois native. He'd go on, of course, to manage the Indians, later the Red Sox. He was in Kansas City, of course, when they were the Athletics. And then how about this story? In 1958 and 1959, he was the play-by-play voice of the Chicago Cubs, Before switching roles with the manager, Charlie Grimm for 1960, Lou Boudreau goes from the broadcast booth to the dugout managing the team for one year It was the last time he would manage in Major League Baseball in 1960. A couple other cool notes on Lou Boudreau. He um, ended up later being a radio play by play broadcaster for the Chicago Bulls in the late 1960s. He also did Chicago Blackhawks games on both radio and TV for WGN. And Jeremy, I'm not sure if you know this he's widely credited with creating the infield shift, something that he did as a manager to combat Ted Williams. And I thought just a really amazing story uh, for a guy who had a wonderful career in baseball and media and passed away back in 2001 at the age of 84. So tip of the cap and a really cool question there, I think from dad.
1: Definitely. And I, yeah, it's funny to think back, you know, how the infield shift has become so, you know, much a part of the game as it is today, but that's 70 years ago you're talking about with the infield shift for Ted Williams and Ted Williams, you know, he just hit him over their heads. He, he didn't change his approach. So uh, you can see all the way back there, but yeah, uh, I'm always here for the Illini. So Lou Boudreau, one of the only three Illini athletes to have their number retired at the University of Illinois. You know, you know,
2: we always, we always appreciate Nick the Buck trivia questions from, from John O'Shea. We know we're going to get a real good old school trivia question uh, every time he, he chimes in. Before we forget, I would like to point out you can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. That's behind the yellow line, BTYL. At BTYL Podcast on Twitter. You can find uh, some of our thoughts during games and between episodes. You can always find our latest episode in our profile, and we are always sure to tweet when we put out a new episode. So find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Hit that follow button, say hello to us. And uh, yeah, because we keep forgetting to mention this. So I wanted to make sure we got that in before the episode ended.
0: You know, and speaking of that, we have lots of fun polls and other content that we put out there. And we did get some feedback from the audience here today. Randall, real quick, um, the fans want to know, what was the Jake Fox haircut that you were sporting about a decade ago?
2: Uh, You know, to the fans out there, you don't actually want to know this. If Ronan didn't mention it, you'd have no idea. Just take my word for it. We're good.
0: Randall had a real tight buzz cut, some nice sunglasses. Yeah. He looked like Jake Fox. I walked into Wrigley Field and said, hey, that's Jake. Fox. Oh, that's Randall. Good luck. Jeremy, you had a rough week here. You went to Taco Bell, what, 10 days ago or so?
1: And you yeah, ended up. It was more rough last week. Uh, this week's been pretty fine.
0: So this week, okay. So last week you go to Taco Bell in the city, right? Down by the condo. In the city. By, by where I'm, yeah, by my condo, my apartment. It was a late night Taco Bell run after a pretty big news report had come out. What had happened earlier that day at the Taco Bell you
1: decided to eat at? Well, let me just say, this was not the same day. This was I okay. did go the same day, but this Taco Bell run was about two or three days later. So I'll just make that clear. But th- I did see on one of those Chicago Scanner tweets, you know, Twitter accounts prior earlier that there was a man who was both maskless and pantless <laughs> in this Taco Bell at this address maskless and pantless and there was a, a call for the police because it was you know on one of those chicago police scanner twitter accounts they're like oh funny you know story whatever and i'm like that taco Bell's right next to my apartment i go there all the time i know that taco bell so there was a maskless pantless uh man in that taco bell
0: how long till you can go back because you go there that happens you get food poisoning and then i know how long till you can
2: I'm, go back I'm and ring i'm holding out
1: i'm holding out a little bit i it's it's going to be a little bit before I go ring the bell again, before I feel comfortable and feel safe to go back in there.
2: Well, you, you well, come to BTYL for the analysis, you stay for the trivia, and then you try and leave, but you're held captive for the story. Oh, about. This
1: is the part oh. that people want to hear. This is the exactly good stories. <laughs> the fans. They want the controversy. They want the takes. They want the fun stories. They want the laughs.
2: Ray's enjoying
0: himself right now in a garage somewhere in the North side. And, uh, You know, that's what this is all about, really. Um, We're going to end on a a fun note here, though, too. It's been a nice week for me. I got fully vaccinated on Monday. Number two, Pfizer is in me. Full transparency was a rough couple of days. It hit me pretty hard, uh, but I'm on the mend now. Energy's back, and I'm feeling really good going into the summer. Also celebrated a birthday this week. I am officially in the year... Of the Kerry wood as i take the next step here in life and got a really cool birthday present here we're going to end with this a quick listen in at the voice of the chicago cubs pat hughes giving me a very special happy birthday uh one of the wonderful gifts i was able to receive this week we'll catch you next time right here on behind the yellow line pat take it away
3: happy birthday to you ronan from me Pat Hughes and the Chicago Cubs baseball team. I'm going to put together a voicemail for your telephone. It is a play-by-play segment, and you just happen to be part of the action. Ronan takes his lead at second base. Heavy drama, bottom of the ninth inning, Wrigley Field. Cubs and Cardinals tied at three. Anthony Rizzo at the plate, trying to drive in Ronan with the winning run. Here's the stretch. And the pitch Rizzo lines, a base hit into right field. This could do it. Ronan rounding third, heading home. Look at him go. Here comes the throw to the plate. Ronan slides. Ronan is out. Ronan is out. But when he returns, he'll be happy to call you back. Please wait for the tone and leave a message. Ronan, if it's any consolation to you, the slide you made at the plate, head first, of course, could only be described as poetry in motion.